Hey guys, welcome to Relatable. Happy Friday. All right. Needed to do an emergency episode today to talk about Joe Biden's speech from yesterday afternoon, the mandates he announced and what we should do about it. As you guys know, tomorrow is the 20th anniversary of 9-11. If you haven't listened to yesterday's episode, I highly recommend you do that. I talked to state senator from Texas, Brian Birdwell, who suffered very serious injuries from the attack on the Pentagon on 9-11. And he has such a gripping, such a compelling story, but also such a hopeful story. And on a day when I'm sure you don't feel very hopeful about the state of the country and the future of our nation, that is a great episode to listen to. Get ready to maybe get a little emotional, um, but also be comforted and, and be encouraged by what I believe this nation still is. Now, in this particular episode, I um, it, it's not the same emotion that I am going to uh, evoke here. And that's because the emotion that I'm feeling right now, as we say in the South, is riled up. Also, I just had my coffee. And so I am going to be maybe even more passionate than usual because I'm very angry about what I heard from the president yesterday. And what I'm hoping from this episode and what I'm uh, praying comes from this is that the scales will fall from some people's eyes in that they see that all of this is not for their well-being. Uh, none of this is really, truly about health and safety. It is about politics at best and total and complete control and destruction of political enemies at worst. And truly, I wish I were exaggerating. And why is this all happening right now? Why is he making the announcements that he is, which I'm going to play some of in just a second? It's a distraction. 20 years after 9-11, he knows that people are focused on Afghanistan. That was a disaster. It was a disaster of leadership. It was a a crisis that was manufactured by incompetence and by worse than that, I think malintent. He wants to distract from the fact that there are Americans that we have abandoned in Afghanistan. And so he is turning our sights here and he is declaring a different enemy than the Taliban. And that enemy that he wants you to know is more dangerous than ISIS-K and more dangerous than any foreign terrorist regime. Um, that enemy is your fellow American who has not gotten vaccinated. So yesterday, about five Eastern time, President Biden delivered a speech outlining his plan to combat COVID. Now, mind you, he promised to have a plan to defeat COVID before he became president. That was one of his campaign pitches. And now, over eight months later, we are just now hearing that plan. And that plan includes division. It includes resentment. It, it includes coercion. Yesterday's speech, was by far the most hate-mongering, fear-mongering, truly terrifying speech that I've ever heard from a U.S. president. Nothing Trump ever said, nothing Obama ever said came close to what we heard yesterday in the way of authoritarianism. So let me play you a few clips from that speech. We can and we will turn the tide on COVID-19. It'll take a lot of hard work. It's going to take some time. Many of us are frustrated with the nearly 80 million Americans who are still not vaccinated, even though the vaccine is safe, effective, and free. You might be confused about what is true and what is false about COVID-19. We read about and hear about and we see the stories of hospitalized people, people on their deathbeds, among the unvaccinated over the past few weeks. This is a pandemic of the unvaccinated. But what makes it incredibly more frustrating is that we have the tools to combat COVID-19 and a distinct minority of Americans, supported by a distinct minority of elected officials, are keeping us from turning the corner. This is not about freedom or personal choice. It's about protecting yourself and those around you. We've been patient, but our patience is wearing thin. And your refusal has cost all of us. These governors won't help us beat the pandemic. I will use my power as president to get them out of the way. The Transportation Safety Administration, the TSA, will double the fines on travelers that refuse to mask. 
If you break the rules, be prepared to pay. We've had record job creation for a new administration. Economic growth unmatched in 40 years. We cannot let unvaccinated do this progress, undo it. Communities of color are disproportionately impacted by this virus. And as we continue to battle COVID-19, we will ensure that equity continues to be at the center of our response. Get vaccinated. Uh, that whisper, it just, it just kills me. There's surely, there's no one in his administration that has told him to do that. He does that. Every speech, it seems like there's no one in his administration that's like, hey, Joe, you know that you know that little whisper thing you do? You know when you're giving a speech and you lean into the mic and you narrow your little beady eyes and you whisper at people and you look straight into the camera? Yeah, that's super effective. You should probably keep doing that. It's like it's like that thing that you're like very old, decrepit kind of creepy uncle does and you go to your parents and you're like you know like why does uncle joe do this like why why does he lean in and whisper and your parents are like you know honey i don't i don't know we've tried to talk to him about it that's just at this stage that's just kind of what he does and we all just are expected to to accept that i'm not accepting it i think it's really weird and again i think it's just a sign that unfortunately, the president of the United States, the supposed leader of the free world, our commander in chief, is on the decline and has been for a very long time. In some ways, while I don't really feel bad for him at this point, I feel bad that his family put him in this position. Um, but I can't say I feel bad for him because uh, he is willingly now a deliberate vessel for division and for hate. And you'll notice a few things about what he said. You'll notice um, how often he pits the vaccinated against the unvaccinated. This is a pandemic of the unvaccinated. The unvaccinated are a threat to the vaccinated, we hear. The unvaccinated are taking up hospital space. And if you go on Twitter, you'll see that this kind of animosity, truly just animalistic animosity, is normal among the media and activist class on the left. And, and maybe the left in general, I can't speak for every single person, on the left, and I'm sure it doesn't describe every person on the left, but certainly we see this kind of attitude on Twitter over and over again. I see the suggestion from liberal blue check marks that unvaccinated people should not get ICU beds, that they shouldn't get medical care, that they should just be left to die. I think Jimmy Kimmel actually said that the other day and his crowd, you know, roared with laughter and, and clapped. And, and none of this, of course, makes any logical sense, because as I and many others have asked, how are the unvaccinated threatening the vaccinated if the vaccine works to lessen the symptoms and the likelihood of death, but those with the vaccine can still get and spread the virus? No one has been able to answer that for me. Uh, here's what the Evening Standard reported at the end of August. Quote, researchers from the University of Oxford found the viral load reduction can be wiped out by the Delta variant, which is now dominant in the UK. While evidence demonstrates the vaccine significantly reduced hospitalization and deaths, scientists now believe those infected by the Delta variant can still harbor similar levels of virus to those who are unvaccinated. Okay, so apparently you carry the same viral load, which means if you get what's called a breakthrough infection after being vaccinated, you are just as likely to pass it on to someone uh, to someone else as an unvaccinated infected person. Now, maybe you would say uh, you're less likely to get the infection in the first place if you have the vaccine. And yes, that's what the CDC says. And certainly that is how the vaccine is supposed to work. But I think it's worth looking at a few things here. So according to Johns Hopkins University data, the COVID case rate is three times higher than it was last Labor Day in the United States. So three times higher than it was last year, despite having more than half the country fully vaccinated. We didn't have a vaccine this time last year. And with a vaccine that the CDC says is very effective against the Delta variant. How does that make sense? Let's look at Cornell University, where 95% of the campus, faculty and staff, are fully vaccinated. The College Fix reports, quote, Cornell University has more than five times the amount of confirmed positive cases during its first week of this academic year than it did during its first week of the 2020. 
uh, 2020 to 2021 academic year, according to the Cornell COVID dashboard. By the numbers, during the first week of school that ran from August 27th to September 2nd of this academic year, Cornell reported 322 positive COVID-19 cases. In comparison, during the first week of school last year, which ran from September 3rd through September 9th of 2020, Cornell reported 59 positive COVID-19 cases. Now, maybe you could say that there are multiple factors coming into play. Maybe last year there, you know, some people were staying inside more. And so that's why there were fewer cases. But truly, if 95% of the campus is fully vaccinated, how can it be that the virus is spreading this much? Uh, We saw something similar at Duke University this year, where 29 medical students and seven members of the women's field hockey team got infected, and all of them were vaccinated as Duke requires. Uh, This is even as Duke has a very strict indoor mask mandate as well. Uh, Singapore has the second highest vaccination rate in the world. According to the New York Times, 79% of the population is fully vaccinated. And according to Bloomberg News, they're seeing case numbers higher than what they saw at the height of the pandemic last year when no one was vaccinated. Okay. And then if you look at the CDC's website, at a map of the United States that shows vaccination rates and case rates by county. Um, And I'll put this up. I'll put up the picture on YouTube. I'll include a link to this page in the description of this episode so you can go explore this for yourself. Uh, You'll see on this picture that there's a lot of dark red and a lot of purple. And what the dark red and the purple represent on this map are counties that have high vaccination rates and high case rates. Uh, What you don't see is a lot of teal or aqua counties. Teal represents the counties that have high vaccination rates in low case numbers. In fact, in all of the U.S. that reports their numbers, which is everywhere except for Texas, Hawaii, and a couple other counties elsewhere for some reason, you find fewer than 10 of those teal slash aqua counties. You see far more counties with high vaccination rates and high case numbers than you do counties with high vaccination rates and low case numbers. Now, you do see low vaccination rates and high case numbers too, represented by the bright red that you see on the map if you're watching. And you see a lot of counties who have mid-level vaccination rates with mid-level case rates. Uh, That probably actually makes up the majority of the country. Uh, Maine, in particular, is an interesting example. It's, um, It's an example of a state with a high case rate and also a high vaccination rate. In Maine, the third most vaccinated state in the country, with 64% of its population fully vaccinated. It's suffering through the largest surge in New England with more cases per day than they've seen in months. Um, According to Bangor Daily News, quote, a record 74 COVID-19 patients were in intensive care units across Maine on Thursday as virus cases continue to surge across the state, testing hospital resources. 38 patients also required ventilators, surpassing the record set in mid-January, while overall COVID-19 hospitals surged to 193, the highest single-day total since the winter. The record number of critical COVID-19 patients comes as cases have continued to climb in Maine, which is now seeing the highest case rate of any New England state. Another 620 cases were reported Thursday. Now, it goes on to say, the vast majority of hospitalized COVID-19 patients continue to be unvaccinated. At Northern Light Health, Maine's second largest hospital system, 35 out of 42 hospitalized patients with COVID-19 had not had any vaccine doses as of Wednesday. All but one of the hospital system's 21 critical care patients were unvaccinated, as were 10 out of 11 patients on ventilators. So what do I think this story and the other stories that I listed um, tell us? I I think that the data is pretty good that vaccines reduce the risk of serious illness and death. Non-political medical professional friends that I've spoken to tell me this is true and what they are seeing in hospitals right now, that the majority of people in the hospital in intensive care with COVID are unvaccinated. There are people who are vaccinated who get serious illness and, and, and die. But for the most part, the people who do get seriously ill, which is still very rare, are unvaccinated. I think that that is true. Here's what I don't think that we can say based on the data that we have. I don't think that the data indicates that the vaccines are mitigating the spread all that much, if at all. I don't think it's preventing many people from getting the virus and then spreading the virus. 
which means all of this means that the most you could argue against unvaccinated people is that they're coming down with most of the serious cases and thus taking up hospital resources by not getting the vaccine and putting themselves at risk unnecessarily and therefore are taking up beds that need to be used by people with other illnesses. Okay, that argument makes logical sense to me. If you want to use that line of reasoning to try to get people to take the vaccine, that's fine. The line of reasoning that really says this is for your own health and this is for the sake of hospital resources. But still, my response to that would be, number one, lots of people do lots of things that they shouldn't do that land them in the hospital taking up resources. And we don't punish those people by not caring for them. People eat themselves into obesity. People drink themselves into alcohol poisoning. People ride motorcycles. People don't wear seat belts. People smoke. People bed tan. Should these people not get health care? I've heard people say to that, well, that's different because those aren't spreadable diseases. Well, so like that's that's not the point, is it? That's not the point of the argument. The point that you are making, if you're saying that unvaccinated people shouldn't get health care, the point that you're making is that they're being irresponsible. And that's why they don't deserve health care, because they made a decision that landed them in the hospital. And uh, I'm saying, OK, well, if that's your point, then people who ride their motorcycle without a helmet or get into a gang fight are also making bad choices that are are forcing them to go to the hospital and take up resources. And yet we provide them with health care because that's what healthcare workers do. You absolute sociopaths. Really. I I mean, I'm really glad that you guys didn't have Twitter during the AIDS crisis in the 1980s, by the way. I, I guess you'd be making the same argument. And also, like, you're the same people who want to run our healthcare. Like, no, thank you. No, thank you. The number two response that I would say to uh, to that line of argumentation, um, the rate of COVID-associated hospitalization for people under the age of 50 is still extremely low. It's really low, honestly, across the board. You have a way better chance of not going to the hospital than going to the hospital. It's still rare to go to the hospital with COVID. I know people who have gone to the hospital with COVID. I'm not saying that it doesn't happen. I know people who have parents who have died from it. So I certainly understand that it can really affect people and it can very seriously impact people. But looking at the numbers as we have to do if we want to be able to think and act rationally, uh, people under the age of 50 still only have a 0.005% chance, according to the CDC, of being hospitalized. For people under the age of 18, the hospitalization rate is about uh, 0.001% to 0.002%. For older Americans, the chances are higher. And of course, when the older you get, the higher the chance is, especially over the age of 85, whether you're vaccinated or not. But it's still very low for most people. Also, as of last year, nearly 90% of all hospitalized COVID patients had one or more underlying conditions. Again, this is according to the CDC. We have to just take them at their word, even though I think we have plenty of reasons not to. It's the reporting that we've got. So you've got a far lower than 1% chance of um, being hospitalized with COVID for the most part, depending on your age. I probably don't have a whole lot of 85-year-olds listening to the podcast, but thank you if you're here. Um, You have a far, far less than 1% chance of dying from COVID, uh, especially if you don't have any kind of underlying in uh, underlying condition, vaccinated or not, even with the Delta variant, even with the fear mongering, even with the propaganda. What we are seeing, at least on the pediatric front, and we've talked about this before, is a surge in RSV among kids that's putting them in the hospital. This was actually reported by Time Magazine a few weeks ago. RSV is much more dangerous for babies than COVID is. Babies can die from RSV, even though that is rare. But I I have friends. I know uh, plenty of people whose babies have had to go to the hospital, at least for uh, breathing treatments this summer for RSV. And by the way, babies have been getting serious cases and dying from RSV for a very long time. And I'm wondering why there hasn't been a rush for a vaccine until the last few months. Just kind of strange. But 
Some of these pediatric patients are also testing positive for COVID and are being recorded as COVID cases because all patients are being tested for the virus. Kids are not, from everything that we know, they are not at serious risk for COVID. That doesn't mean that the kids that have died with COVID, again, with COVID is the CDC's language, so not of COVID. Of course, their lives matter. Of course, that matters. But they're they're not at serious risk for serious illness from COVID. They just aren't. A reminder from a data put together by the Financial Times that we've shared before, the unvaccinated person under the age of 18 is far less likely to die from COVID than the fully vaccinated 40-year-old. And what are those chances? 0.0002%. That is the chance of a person under 18 dying from COVID. Guys, you take a bigger chance driving with your kid every day in the backseat than you do in uh, exposing them to COVID. There's no reason statistically for kids to wear masks. We've gone through many times the data on that. We'll link my post on that in this description. We've gone through it on, uh, we've gone through it in episodes multiple times. There, uh, there is no reason for kids to be taking really any measures whatsoever when they're in school besides just washing their hands. There's no reason at all for us to be talking about giving kids the vaccine anytime soon. So this fear mongering about the virus, this pitting one side against the other, this cry to get vaccinated for the sake of the children and to get your 12-year-old vaccinated. That's something that Joe Biden said, encouraging people to get their uh, their teenagers and their 12-year-old vaccinated. When a new study has just found out that boys ages 12 to 15 have a 3.7 to 6.1 times uh, higher chance of an adverse cardiac event than uh, their chance of being hospitalized with COVID. So, you are hearing that you have to take this particular calculation um, and you have to get your 12-year-old son vaccinated, even though he is at higher risk of an adverse cardiac event because of the vaccine than he is getting a serious case of COVID that would put him in the hospital. That doesn't make any sense. Like, This push for children as young as two years old to wear masks in the United States, even though no other country is doing that, even though the WHO recommends against it, there is no data at all to back it up. Plenty of common sense that tells us it's stupid and even data telling us that it's dumb. None of that is about your health. It can't be. It's not about safety. And you'll notice that the American Academy of Pediatrics and the CDC don't actually provide you with any evidence, with any um, hard numbers or data backing up the idea that little tiny kids need to be wearing masks. We also know None of this is about the science because where's the talk of natural immunity in all of this? There was a, a, pre-print, a preprint study out of Israel uh, that found that you get longer lasting and stronger immunity from previous infection than you do the vaccine, which makes sense. That's true of many illnesses. Um, and of course, the there have been people trying to refute that and saying it's it's not true, but Clearly it is. And just anecdotally, of the people I know who have had COVID, uh, they only had that one infection. And even though they have been exposed several times since then, uh, they haven't gotten it again. But I know at least three people just off the top of my head who were fully vaccinated and then got COVID. They had mild cases. Maybe they would have had mild cases anyway, but they did get that so-called breakthrough infection. Uh, We know that antibodies protect you probably for a long time, as well as, uh, if not uh, significantly uh, better than the vaccine. So why can't the people who have had COVID but haven't been vaccinated go about their business? I mean, I think everyone should be able to go about their business. But if we're trying to find some kind of logical and scientific consistency here, like why shouldn't they be treated the same way as vaccinated people? And why can't that number, uh, the number of people who have not been vaccinated, but who have had COVID and have the antibodies be added to the number of vaccinated people to let us know if we have achieved any kind of so-called herd immunity? Because look, We're not going to get to zero cases ever. That's just not how these kinds of viruses work. Countries like Australia and Japan have had to abandon that goal. They wanted to get to, you know, zero COVID cases. It's just not, 
it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen right now, probably not going to happen anytime soon in the same way that we still get the flu every year. Um, it, it mutates and it mutates among vaccinated people too because it finds more, it becomes more resistant to vaccines. Unfortunately, that's just what happens. And so again, this idea that the unvaccinated are what are causing that they're the ones causing the virus to mutate and get stronger. That, again, just doesn't make any scientific sense. And for a virus with an over 99% survival rate, for most people, 99.99% survival rate, like if if you are given a 99.99% chance of surviving, say you're diagnosed with an illness, diagnosed with cancer, that's pretty much 100%. And again, I'm not saying that no one dies from COVID, but if you are hearing, hey, like your chance of surviving this particular thing or your chance of this thing going well is 99.99%, the vast majority of people are going to take that risk. Um, And with a survival rate that is this high for COVID, like we're going to have to all accept that risk at some point and move on. If you don't want to accept that risk, then you can get your 12 booster shots. Go for it. Like maybe you should, maybe you should get your 12 booster shots and maybe you should wear three masks and maybe you should do that for you and the people around you. That's, that's fine. I don't have anything against all of that, but like at some point we've got to accept that not every single person will or can get the vaccine and you got to be okay with it. And, and guys, again, If the vaccine works to prevent serious illness and death, and if you can still get and spread the virus as a vaccinated person, then you have no reason to say that the unvaccinated are a threat. It makes no sense. I tried to get someone who told me I was wrong in asking that question, uh, who she said that I just don't understand how vaccines and, and herd immunity work. So I asked her nicely to explain this to me. She Uh, messaged me. She said that she had a medical background. um, And, you know, she's a super nice person. And I'm sure that she means well and is super smart. But in our conversation, I was actually like ready. I've been ready for someone to answer this question for me. And all you ever get when you ask this question is, well, you just don't understand how vaccines work. Okay, I'm I am willing to accept that. Explain it to me then. Explain it to me. I'm not pretending to be a medical professional. But this person who says she is a medical professional, she never actually addressed what I said. She said something about hospital capacity. Okay, again, you can make that argument. I understand the logic there. I think the data backs that up. Maybe. I don't I don't know, though. I mean, I, I do believe that unvaccinated people are more likely to get serious illness and die from the virus. The idea, though, that all the hospitals are at capacity and that they're bursting at the seams. I do have some questions about that because I also know many healthcare workers have been laid off for the past over the past year. I also know many healthcare workers have quit. I also know that hospitals always operate at capacity because that's how hospital administrators make sure they're making money. And plus, we've been hearing for the past year that all hospitals are bursting at the seams and sometimes that hasn't turned out to be true. And so, I do have some skepticism uh, I, I do have some skepticism about that. Um, but if, again, if that's the only argument that you want to make that, look, unvaccinated people are putting an unfair burden on the healthcare system, all right. But the idea that the vaccinated are threatened by the unvaccinated, knowing everything that I've just explained, that's not sane. That's not sane if you believe that. I mean, you people have truly lost it. Uh, Fox News reports that the largest teachers union, the National Education Association, you guys know how I feel about teachers unions, and now published emails threatened the White House and the CDC, intimidating them into recommending universal masking in schools. Oh my gosh. (sighs) If I ever were in charge of this operation, this this whole operation, this country, Teachers unions, day one, gone. They're truly a scourge on society. They don't care about your kids. They don't, and I honestly, I don't think they really care about teachers either. I think that they care about power. I think that they care about bureaucracy. Um, And the fact that the CDC, who is supposed to be a scientific institution in the White House, who is supposed to, you know, be a scientific White House and trusting the science is listening to um, a political entity. This shows, again, it's about politics. The NEA is a political left-wing entity. That means these policies are at best 
fearful reflexes not based on science, and at worst, uh, they're being purposely used for control and division. And the longer this goes on, guys, the harder it is to deny that it's, uh, it's the latter. Australia beating peaceful protesters, building, quote, well camps, well camps, more like Orwellian camps, like truly, I mean, that is some like ministry of peace, ministry of love type stuff, well camps to forcibly quarantine people away from their families who get infected, forcing Australians in at least one state in Australia to download an app that tells the government where they are at all times. And then we have Biden here unconstitutionally forcing companies to force their employees to get vaccinated. It's authoritarian. And look, I'm not saying that it is the same level of authoritarianism as people are enduring in North Korea and China. I am not um, unfortunate, or unfortunately, we've got some people on the left who truly think that, for example, Texas trying to ban abortions after six weeks is the exact same as the Taliban. I'm not uh, making some kind of stupid point like that, that here in America, we live in the same kind of dictatorship as the people in Afghanistan. I am actually sane. But things, actions, policies can be authoritarian in nature. Um, the same people who cried about Trump being authoritarian, even though no policy that he ever proposed or implemented came anywhere close to what Biden is doing and flagrantly and unabashedly ignoring the Constitution. They have nothing to say about this because most people on the left, I've learned, like authoritarianism when it comes to things that they like. And they just see it as, well, this is for the best, so it's okay. So they call everything they don't like, like abortion restrictions, fascism, and authoritarianism without a single thought to what those words actually mean. And what they, what they really mean is that they just don't like those things. But they don't care when Biden ignores the Constitution and, for example, enforces an eviction moratorium or when he ignores the Constitution and, and dictates what companies can do because they like it. They, they like it. And so that's not authoritarianism, apparently. Um, and then on abortion, we have Kamala Harris, the most pro-abortion senator when she was in the Senate. She even voted against a bill proposed to protect babies who survive abortion. So babies outside the womb. She said, nope. No, thanks. Don't have any interest in protecting those babies. She recently said in a clip over and over again, uh, this myth that a woman has a right to an abortion because it's her body, blah, blah, blah. So when it comes to a procedure that literally and directly and deliberately kills a defenseless human being, it's a constitutional right and bodily autonomy and my body, my choice. But when it comes to a mask and a vaccine without which someone only may get an illness and may pass it on to someone who may get a serious case and may die from it. That's not included in bodily autonomy. And then we have Biden's Department of Justice now announcing that they are suing Texas over their abortion law. I mean, talk about authoritarianism again. Like, do you trust people who are so rabidly pro-abortion, so rabidly anti-freedom when they say that they're doing what they're doing for your health? You want to talk about vaccine hesitancy and why some people are hesitant? Let's talk about distrust in our institutions, the media and a political party, along with big tech and big business who have used this virus and mitigation measures relentlessly as political tools against Trump and Republicans who totally depart from science when it comes to public health measures, even while flouting the rules themselves, who hold up this leader in Dr. Fauci, who very likely lied about his indirect involvement with gate of function research that may have led uh, to the spread of uh, of COVID globally, they censored talk of the Wuhan lab origins in the beginning of this whole thing, took down people's Twitter accounts, kicked them off YouTube. They censor and demonize on the ground doctors talking about treatments, a particular treatment that has been used uh, on millions of people for years and, re and reduce it to an, uh, reduce an uh, award-winning drug to horse paste. They talk about the other half of the country as if they're not people and talk about taking their health care away. They suggest mandates and passports that make it impossible for some people to engage with polite society without uh, making a particular health care decision that they don't want or don't need to make. And by the way, this all disproportionately affects one, Black Americans. Um, black Americans have the largest um, population of um, of unvaccinated. Uh, among Black Americans, I think it's only... Um, 
not even 30% of black Americans have been vaccinated, which that's fine. Like they're making their own decisions. They have had everyone, no matter your background, no matter your race, has had every opportunity to get the vaccine at this point. So clearly there is probably some hesitancy there. So when we're talking about uh, blocking out people from society and refusing healthcare and making people get fired because they're not choosing to get the vaccine, you're talking about disproportionately um, affecting black Americans. And so this is also how we know that they're not serious when they talk about systemic racism, when they talk about disparities being proof of discrimination and um, anti-racism and equity. You heard Biden talk about equity. He had to sprinkle in some critical race theory there. They're not serious about they're not serious about that, obviously. I mean, that's who they're demonizing and dehumanizing when they're talking about all of this. It's not it's not mostly white Americans. Um, And so, again, we don't have to take them seriously when it comes to that. And also, we don't take them seriously when it comes to them decrying racism and systemic racism anyway, because they don't have anything to say when their political opponents um, are treated in a racist way. When Larry Elder gets a woman in a monkey mask throwing an egg at him and no one wants to cover it and you don't have any statements from Al Sharpton or Ibram X. Kendi or any of your favorite social justice evangelicals, none of them are coming out and saying, see, this is proof that, you know, systemic racism is still alive and well. Yeah, we see you. We see your silence. We see that you only speak up when it's a half-baked narrative about a white cop and uh, a black suspect and you use that to try to push a political narrative. We see you. It's all about politics and power. It's not about social and so-called racial justice. Yeah, we get it. So you want to know why people are hesitant in listening to our institutions when maybe there's a little bit of distrust. Like, again, when you've got big government and big tech and big business and big pharma and big media in each other's pockets, um, silencing legitimate voices, belittling questions, doing nothing to try to gain people's trust and doing a lot to lose people's trust. I mean, it's your fault. It's your fault. Those of you who are in those institutions and have parroted the contradictory propaganda from those institutions, you are the ones who have uh, sown vaccine hesitancy. Um, If you are on the left and you honestly think at this point that the authoritarian threat is coming from the right, I just got to say, the call is coming from inside the house, my friend. Um, Now is the time. Take the red pill. Open up your eyes. See what's really going on. And get ready, by the way. It pains me to say um, that I I don't think what's coming is going to be good. Like, I think that people are getting pushed too far because the right is eventually going to take back power. Um, Of course, we'll see what crisis Democrats manufacture next year. That's definitely coming a year from now, right before the midterms. Mark my words, they'll create something to make sure enough people are scared into voting for them and that everyone's forgotten what a disaster Afghanistan was. But I hope you'll remember, because this new right that is coming up and running for office really isn't like the neoconservative of uh, neoconservatives of years past. The feckless do nothings who complain about precedents. They are watching this new group of um, conservatives that are running for office. I truly think that they are watching how the left wields power. Uh, relentlessly and unapologetically while dehumanizing millions of Americans who don't make the choices that they want them to make, gaslighting half the country into thinking that somehow, despite leftists dominating every single national and global institution, that they, the 80 million Americans, are the real authoritarian threats. And they're realizing um, these uh, this new batch of conservatives, I think they're realizing that they don't need to be afraid to use the power of the government to accomplish their goals in the same way that the left does so unabashedly. Leftists, you're pushing people too far. You are. I hate to see it. I love this country. I want unity. I, I want peace. I want us to go along to to get along. Um, I want us to, you know, be where we were patriotically 20 years ago. That's not where we are. And when you have a president who is purposely stoking the flames, uh, in a way, truly, I know that if you're on the left, you're going to laugh at this, truly in a way that Trump 
never did. Like, you can say that Trump was crass. You can say that um, you didn't like his rhetoric. That's fine. I didn't like all his rhetoric. I didn't like his tweets. I could definitely see how a lot of those things um, were divisive. But purposely dehumanizing and demonizing millions and millions of Americans, mostly really because of their politics, but um, saying it's somehow because of public health and the vaccine, um, you're just, you're pushing people too far. People don't like to be bullied. They don't like to feel like they're being coerced. And actually, I think the coercion shows a lot more distrust in the vaccine and creates a lot more vaccine hesitancy than anything else. There are probably people who were considering, who were about to get the vaccine. And then they heard that speech and they're like, yeah, right. Because honestly, the creepier you guys get about it, the more coercive you get about it, the more there are going to be people who dig their heels in. So for all of you sane people that exist out there, you are always asking me, what do we do? Those of you who actually oppose this government overreach, because that's what it is. Well, I think it's time to peacefully resist um, I am not talking about resisting by not getting the vaccine. Honestly, that's irrelevant. Do that if you want to or don't. What I'm saying is it is time for you, if you own a company that has 100 or more employees, to do whatever you can to loudly resist and say no. Even if 100% of your employees are vaccinated, even if you are a vaccinated person, you need to be standing up and saying, no, this is too far. This is too authoritarianism. We're not living in this kind of country. I'm not, I choose not to demonize and dehumanize people who make a different healthcare choice than me. It's time for corporations to sue. It's big corporations, which I have my doubts, but that would really change things. If the major corporations stood up and said, no, we're not going to do this. It's time for employees to band together with other like-minded employees, again, vaccinated or not, to approach your bosses and say, no, this is unscientific. This is unethical. We oppose this. Now, there are several states that are already um, saying that they are going to defy this, that um, their uh, attorneys general are pushing back against that. So you've got uh, pretty much all of the Republican states, not all of them, but a lot of the Republican states like uh, Texas, Oklahoma, Arkansas, Florida, all of the South. And then you've also got like Montana and Wyoming, North and South Dakota. There's several that I didn't list who are going to be pushing back against this and who are going to do their best to ensure that their companies and individuals um, have freedom. So it is time to push back using every lawful and civil means um, that you possibly can. Because in this country, I know people are going to bring up Romans 13, that apparently we're just supposed to lie down and be doormats, but that is not the Christian tradition. It's not. If you believe John Knox, that resistance to tyranny is obedience to God, the great Scottish reformer, um, that it is simply not true that Romans 13 means um, that we conform to all authoritarian measures. Again, like look back, read the Gulag Archipelago, even just a little bit, even just, even just a few pages of it, and you will see what happens when Christians wade into complacency in the name of uh, just, I don't know, abiding by Romans 13. Here's the deal. In this country, our government is of the people, for the people, by the people. The people in charge, our representatives, our elected officials, work for us. They are in subservience to the law of the land, which is the Constitution. Their powers are bound by the Constitution, and when they act outside of those bounds, it is they who are disobeying our nation's authority, not us, who are trying to abide by and preserve the Constitution. Lex Rex means law. The law is king. That has been a part of the Christian tradition and understanding of how governments should work for a long time, that we are not ruled under a monarch, but actually even the people in charge, our elected officials, our public servants are actually bound by the law of the land. And that... That is what we are supposed to abide by. And so those who are actually um, violating Romans 13 are those who are trying to violate the Constitution. Those of us who are trying to abide by the Constitution and are saying, whoa, 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 executive branch, you don't, you don't have the power, federal government, you don't have the power to tell states what to do in this way. You don't have the power to tell companies what to do in this way. We are actually trying to obey the authority in the land, which is the Constitution. Um, and so I simply do not 
think that Romans 13, which also says that the people in power are supposed to be servants of God, I do not think that means that we just have to accept tyranny. Again, you can look at the 20th century and see what happens when Christians become complacent about this kind of stuff. I think um, that you have to wake up at some point. And maybe this isn't the time for you. Maybe you're not waking up yet. Maybe you still have... Um, you think that the intentions of this administration and the people in charge are good. Maybe you truly think it's for public health. I think that you should probably just spend some time asking, like, what will be too far? What will be too far? So when they start to say, hey, um, you got to get your kids under 12 vaccinated and they don't tell you what the possible risks are and we don't look at the numbers, I guarantee you the teachers unions will be pushing hard for that, no matter what the side effects of the vaccine may be for kids. And they threaten you with the power of the state. And they say, for example, the Department of Education somehow coerces all of the public school districts or tries to coerce the public school districts to require COVID vaccination for all kids as young um, as kindergarten or as young as preschool. And they say, okay, if you, um, uh, if you don't abide by this, there will be some sort of punishment either for the school district and maybe even in some more liberal states, maybe there will be individual punishment. If they start taking, I'm not saying that this is going to happen. I'm not saying that this is going to come down the pipeline. I'm just saying you need to think about how far is too far. If they say, okay, if you don't get your two-year-old vaccinated, CPS is going to show up at your house again in a liberal in a liberal state that wouldn't happen probably in a Republican state. Like, will that be too far? Will you see then that maybe this isn't all about loving your neighbor? Will you see then that maybe this isn't really about public health? Like, I don't know. Just consider that. Just consider how far will be it too far for you before you realize, oh, hey, like, maybe I shouldn't just trust the state with our well-being. Maybe rights matter. Like maybe freedom does actually matter. Um, and look, I, I understand. I was naive about all of this in the beginning. Like I was one of those people who was saying, oh my gosh, if you don't say inside, then you're not loving your neighbor. Back when we thought that this had like a 20% death rate. Um, I said some things that now looking back make me cringe. It took me a little bit to realize, okay, yes, it's still a real virus. And yes, the threat is real, but so is the threat of tyranny. And so is um, illogical public policy that is being used to control people and wreck the economy. And I've got to have some balance here. So if you're still one of those people, I've been there. I understand. Okay. I am a germaphobe. I am a hypochondriac. I don't want to get sick. I don't want anyone that I love um, to get seriously ill. And so I totally understand that fear, but you have to understand there are other risks in life. There are other risks in life. We have come a long way from Patrick Henry's give me liberty or give me death and a long way, not in a good way, unfortunately. I do want to, I'm going to end with a, a couple things. I'm going to end with some encouragement, but I'm also going to speak to one thing about the mark of the beast. Um, we've talked about before how I don't believe in my reading of scripture that the mark of the beast uh, is the vaccine, obviously, and I don't believe it's the vaccine passport. Now, I am uh, post-trib pre-millennial, so that means that I believe that Christians who are alive in the Great Tribulation will live through the Great Tribulation. Um, I think Jesus will come back after the Great Tribulation, um, but I believe things are going... It's like the it's like the worst eschatology, the saddest eschatology that you can have because I believe things are getting worse and worse. And I also believe that Christians are not going to be raptured before the, uh, uh, before the, the tribulation. Now I like, I feel like I function as a post mill person. Um, and if you don't know what I mean, that's totally fine. I will link I've done three episodes on this. I've done three episodes on eschatology, on what the end times kind of look like. And so I will link those three past episodes in the description and you can listen to that. Um, but so Mark of the Beast, uh, I don't think either of those things are the Mark of the Beast. But what this whole thing has shown me is how easy it will be to get people to take the mark of the beast. So this will be a mark that you have to have that will show your allegiance to the Antichrist. Um, you can't take the mark of the beast and also um, be a Christian, um, as far as my understanding of scripture goes. And you will need this mark to buy or to sell. That's what Revelation tells us. 
Um, and what I'm seeing is that it's going to be so easy to manipulate people into getting this. I guess I always just imagined that it would be so obvious that we would be able to see, oh, see, that's the mark. I'm not, I'm not taking that. And we would just be able to kind of stand off to the side and I don't know, do our thing. But now I'm realizing there will be people who are professing Christians who will be used as a mouthpiece for the mark of the beast. And that we are going to be told that taking the mark is just loving your neighbor. And if you don't take the mark, you're a threat to public health and you're a threat to safety and that you are going to be demonized and dehumanized as other tried to push to the margin of societies and your healthcare is going to be threatened. Your family is going to be threatened. And it's going to seem a heck of a whole lot easier if you just take the mark. And you might even start to question, well, am I a threat to public health? Am I a threat to society if I don't take this mark? Again, I'm not saying that either of these things are the mark of the beast. I don't think that they are. I'm just saying that this is a good lesson for all of us for when that day comes, if it comes in our lifetimes that we can remember, we can think back, and maybe we should be asking. (laughs) Maybe we should be asking the Lord um, to help us remember this. And maybe this is actually a blessing. Maybe we are actually, He is giving us something to be thankful for, that we are seeing, oh, so this is how it's going to go down. There's going to be articles and there's going to be videos from our favorite uh, Christian writers and pastors talking about how taking the mark is actually um, just loving our neighbor, how it's actually the righteous thing to do, how we actually don't love God and don't love Christ if we are not taking the mark of the beast. So that's something to keep in mind. I will say the people today who are saying that getting the vaccine or wearing three masks or whatever it is, um, is loving your neighbor. So Jesus says that the most important commands are to love God and love your neighbor. Those are the marks of a Christian. And love doesn't just mean like feel good vibes. Love doesn't just mean having affection towards your neighbor. It actually doesn't mean that at all. It means seeking their best interest according to what God says is their best interest. It means speaking the truth in love. It means trying to share the gospel with them, trying to meet their actual needs. It doesn't just mean endless acceptance and affirmation because that's not what we see in scripture. Um, But Uh, the people who are saying basically then that in order to really be a Christian, in order to fulfill the greatest commandments that Jesus tells us we have to follow in order to be his disciples, you have to get the vaccine. When When scripture is very clear that stewardship of our bodies as a dwelling place for the Holy Spirit, as 1 Corinthians says, Um, is our responsibility. Uh, They are just like the Pharisees. They are um, putting burdens on people to try to tell them that this is how you have to be holy. This is how you have to follow Christ. You have to take these particular public health measures, even if you've had COVID before, uh, even if you have done the calculations and you don't think it makes sense to you, even if you have some kind of underlying condition that makes getting the vaccine unsafe, you have Christians, professing Christians saying that in order to truly be a Christian and follow Christ, you have to do that. You're a Pharisee. That's exactly, exactly what the Pharisees did. They raised the standard of righteous, righteousness and holiness to an impossible place. And uh, the people who were trying to follow those standards to meet the higher and higher standards could never reach them. They were demoralized. They were um, oppressed by these uh, outward standards of righteousness that actually had nothing to do with a heart that really loved God. And that's what Jesus said when he came along. He said, you are whitewashed tombs. You are a brood of vipers. You are hypocrites. You look good on the outside, but inside you are decaying. You are doing all of these public demonstrations of supposed righteousness, but your hearts are far from God. Jesus came to fulfill the law and to say, no, uh, true sin starts on the inside. True righteousness starts on the inside. It starts with faith. And so um, you're a Pharisee. You are, it's, it's very uh, brood of vipers energy. It's very like whitewashed tomb vibes. The people who are saying that in order to be a true Christian, you have to take the vaccine. Chapter and verse, chapter and verse, my friend. All right. Uh, let me give you some comfort. Okay. Let me give you some comfort. Yesterday, I spoke to a bunch of pregnancy center um, directors, and they've got uh, a lot of work that they are handling right now as they have um, just 
maybe an unprecedented number of women coming in in crisis who are trying to figure out what to do. They have an unwanted pregnancy. They have a surprise pregnancy and they need help. Pregnancy directors, people who volunteer at pregnancy centers, truly just like a selfless, selfless uh, ambassadors for Christ, the most loving and selfless and sacrificial people in the world. You need to look up your local pro-life pregnancy center and you need to donate and you need to um, you need to volunteer, by the way. But I was talking to them just about the moment that we're in um, and how being on the front lines of compassion and serving the least of these and sharing the gospel and providing hope for people, like that is why God placed us here when and where he did. I know that a lot of you are scared right now. I know a lot of you are scared for your kids. I know a lot of you are scared for the future. You don't like where this country is headed and you don't know how you're going to be able to hang on and you're you're worried, you're anxious. I understand. But when Jesus tells us in Matthew 6, in Matthew 10, that we're not to be anxious, that God takes care of us, that not a hair uh, from our heads is going to fall apart from the knowledge and will of the Father, that not a sparrow can fall from the sky apart from the will of the Father, that we are going to have all of our needs met, that all we have to do is seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and all these things are going to be added unto us when He tells us those things. Uh, He knew everything that was going to happen. He knew everything that we were going to endure. When he decided um, that I was going to be born on February 18th, 1992, when he decided that you were going to be born whenever you were born, he knew exactly what you would endure. He knew exactly what your kids would have to endure. He knew exactly what was coming. He's sovereign over all of it. And he did not place you when and where he did by mistake. He didn't make your kids born when and where he did by mistake. It's not serendipitous. It's not coincidental. It's not accidental. He is sovereign over all of it. He is in control of all of it. He doesn't come in and clean up the mess after. He doesn't um, look down and say, how did you guys get yourself into this mess? Or I didn't see that coming. He is not shocked. He is not surprised. Nothing takes God off his throne. He is totally and completely in charge. And he's not just waiting around to see what's going to happen. But Psalm 37 says that one day evildoers will be no more, that we shouldn't fret, that we shouldn't be worried, that he is going to take care of it. We know that he is going to trample the enemy and all of his enemies under his feet, that one day he is going to rule finally, totally, completely in perfect peace and uh, perfect righteousness. And all we have to do until then is trust and obey. We have to speak the truth in love. We have to be bold and standing for what is good and what is right and what is true. Politics doesn't become our idol. It doesn't get us down. It doesn't steal our joy. It doesn't depress or oppress us. Yes, we stay in the know in what's going on. Yes, we use every peaceful means possible um, for the sake of not just ourselves, but also our children and our neighbors to try to preserve personal liberty. I actually do think that is a way a way to be loving to our neighbors. Um, And we have to trust that he is totally and completely in charge. And that's what gives us our joy. And like, let's be a little motivated. Like, let's have a little fire inside of us to share the gospel, um, knowing that he is coming back. I don't know if it's soon. I don't know if it's in a thousand years. But knowing that all we have to do today, as Elizabeth Elliot said, the thing that gives her peace or gave her peace when she woke up, woke up every day was all you have to do today is the will of God. Everything that is before you, you do in obedience and you do in joy and you do in courage. We need courage and clarity right now. Now is not a time for waffling. Now is not a time for cowardice. Now is a time if you're a pastor, if you're a professor, if you are just a a person. Uh, Now is the time for clarity and courage. Know what you believe. Know why you believe it. Be willing to say it and come what may. You were made for this. You were made for this time. Your kids were made for this time. I'm excited about it. I hate what's happening in a lot of ways, but I believe that God was providential, that he was very specific when he put us when and where he did. It's not an accident. That means that we were made for this time, for this day, for a specific reason, and in all things to glorify him. Let me read you a little bit uh, from the Heidelberg Catechism to finish up. What is your only comfort in life and in death? By the way, we should be catechizing ourselves and our children, making them memorize this stuff too. What is your only comfort in life and in death? 
that I am not my own, but I belong body and soul in life and in death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood and has set me free from the tyranny of the devil. He also watches over me in such a way that not a hair can fall from my head without the will of my Father in heaven. In fact, all things must work together for my salvation. Because I belong to him, Christ, by his Holy Spirit, assures me of eternal life and makes me wholeheartedly willing and ready from now on to live for him. Yes and amen. That is our only comfort in life and in death. So all we have to do is trust and obey. He's got us. He's got it. I don't know how this all turns out, but I do know that God is ruling in perfect justice and righteousness, and I can trust him completely. All right. Uh, that's all I've got time for today. We'll be back here on Monday. Um, I hope that you have a, a meaningful time with your family, honoring the lives that were lost, the sacrifices that were made on 9-11 20 years ago, that you take the time to remind your kids of what happened and why freedom matters uh, so much and is always one generation away from extinction. All right. See you guys back here next week. 